and welcome to another edition of Trawler Talk, the podcast of Passage Maker Magazine, the long-range cruising authority. I'm your host, Jeff Moser. Well, it's been a minute since our last installment of Trawler Talk, which dropped just before Labor Day weekend, and it's no stretch to say that the Passage Maker team has been really busy. Just as we are celebrating Labor Day here in the United States, I was touching down in France for the Cannes Downing Festival, among the most stunning backdrops for a boat show. The next week, the team all met up in the boating capital of the Northeast for the Newport International Boat Show, an excellent event as it is every year, with other team members heading back to Europe the following week to cover the Monaco Yacht Show. Then, at the end of September, we had our third Troller Fest event of the year in Baltimore's Inner Harbor, which was a total success, with packed seminars and an impressive in-water display of new and used trawlers. The Active Interest Media team is already busy planning for the next Troller Fest event, which will be returning for the seventh consecutive year to Stewart, Florida. That event is set for February 28th through March 4th, and tickets will go on sale in early November. And we're all planning on heading to Fort Lauderdale International Boat Show, where we'll walk 25,000 steps a day about in an effort to bring you the best for the long-range cruising enthusiast. Stay tuned. On this episode of Troller Talk, we talk to high school sweethearts Jennifer Johnson and Elliot Schoenfeld, show and Joe. The couple managed busy careers in architecture and city planning and corporate software consulting before booking a one-way flight to South America for a bucket list road trip around the world in 2019. And they did it. They made it to Australia and New Zealand, eventually, where the boating novices took in some sailing classes and fell in love with being on the water, going on to overnight on some boats on further travels in the Galapagos Islands. The Wonderlust then headed to India, just as COVID was locking that country down and were stuck in a tiny apartment for over 100 days. Yikes! before they moved onto a larger space and eventually made their way back stateside. But it sounds like the die was cast, because what they learned about sharing a small space informed their next life decision, when these novices set their sights on finding a floating home that would be capable of making the Great Loop. Show and Joe go on to tell us how they decided on a boat, what upgrades they made before casting off, and some of the highs and lows of their time spent on the Great Loop, which they hope to complete in Key West by the end of this year. The couple, both 30 years old, also talk about the importance of budgeting while on the loop and how both manage a remote work lifestyle while living out their cruising dreams. I hope you enjoy the podcast. According to this, guys, uh, the latest says on your website, showandjoe.com, 220 days in the loop and 3,695 nautical miles traveled. Does that sound about right? That is, yeah. It's been a wild ride. <laughs> All right, well, let's start with that. I mean, where are you right now? We were we, we were trying to get in touch this morning. We had a little back and forth uh, with some uh some cellular issues. So why don't you tell us where you guys are right now? Right now we are anchored in the uh, land between the lakes Mm -hmm. region here in Kentucky. So uh, we're looking out at Kentucky Lake, which is kind of the initial portion of the Tennessee River. Mm -hmm. And just uh, on the other side of land from us is the Barkley Lake, uh, which is part of the Cumberland River. Wow. Great. And so you're about, what, halfway through the loop thus far? Is that about right? Yeah, we were just talking about this with our family. I think we're like 60% maybe. Because yeah. um, the loop is, what we've heard, is like sixty or 6,000 miles. Mm-hmm. And we're at about 3,700 nautical miles, as you just mentioned. So we have the west coast of Florida, uh, the Panhandle, and the Gulf, um, and then and up the, to here. Yeah, yeah, the remaining Midwest River, so... So where Not too shabby. Yeah, where do you guys end the loop? What's the plan? We end our loop in Key West. Um so we will just be going down the western side of Florida and I think we're gonna we're gonna after uh Hurricane Ian, we're gonna be kinda taking it a little slow. 
Um, so that way, hopefully, recovery efforts can, um, you know, continue can, unimpeded. Yeah, know. exactly. Mm-hmm. And um, and we'll just slowly make our way down, and hopefully, they can get to Key West maybe January or February of 2023. Wow, you'll be crossing your wake sometime, and right just before that, it sounds like. Yeah. Wow. So we're going to go backwards a little bit. So let's talk about you, how you guys started on this journey. Um, the information I got, you guys submitted one of our classic cruisers club, and I saw your nice little boat, and you were talking about you had booked a one-way flight to South America for a road trip around the world in about 2019, but then, of course, plans changed. Could you tell us about that experience? Sure. So we, um, you know, we had come to a point in our careers that we were – kind of deciding what to do, like our five and 10 year plan. And it just was the perfect time for us to kind of take a break from corporate America and do what we thought was going to be a one year uh, trip around the world. So we had budgeted and saved up money um, and all of our ducks were in a row. And so we traveled throughout South America for about three months um, to a, um, a lot of the countries there on the like uh, western side of South America, and then we hopped over to Australia and New Zealand. Um, spent about two months over there uh, before we traveled to India, and of course that's when um, our lockdown happened, and, and we got stuck in India for about five months, and that was sort of the genesis for the Great Loop and boating. Was we. We just loved traveling so much, and we wanted to figure out a way to travel safely and continue traveling um, going forward. And so we figured, you know, traveling with our home and, uh, you know, isolated on the water seems like a pretty decent uh, plan. Yeah. So we bought a boat with zero experience when we came back. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, I, was, I read that and was, was shocked and surprised, and it sounded exciting. But let's back up a little <laughs> bit more, too. So you were stuck in India for six months. What did you do there? Yeah. What were you doing during that lockdown period? <laughs> well, we um, – so COVID, like everybody knows, like kind of hit the world by storm, and, and nobody really knew how long it was going to last, mm-hmm. and uh, you know ourselves included. So – we actually visited the Taj Mahal about two days before it shut down for COVID for however long it was shut down for many months. And um, we ended up uh, kind of traveling to another city, another state in India, um, knowing about uh, coronavirus, but not knowing the impact it's going to have. And um, it turned out that once we got to that next state after visiting Taj, um, we, you know, lockdowns happened. And so it just coincided to where, the U.S. said come back when India said you can't leave. Um, and then it, we can go into more details. There's, we could talk about that for a while. Yeah. And uh, But it just didn't work out for us to leave India. So we mm. were stuck in a hotel. We weren't able to leave the hotel, not even to go outside for 70-something days. Yeah, for 70 days. And then we were able to go outside with um, the hotel owner's like friend, so someone who was one, a local, and two, like, knew the language and communicate for us. Um, specifically, like, knowing, like, different regulations or rules that were in place because they were changing very frequently. Mm-hmm. And we were able to just go outside and, like, go for, like, a morning walk. Um, but we were in that hotel for over 100 days, like 108 days or something like that. And, um, and then and, we, um, we moved to a different state in India. Yeah, we were getting very uh, stir-crazy because 
<laughs> I like to cook and being in a hotel, um, we didn't have access to a kitchen. We also like were confined to the, the confines of the hotel. And so it was uh, a very interesting experience. But as soon as we got the opportunity to just like leave um, that part of India and move to another part, we did. And that was awesome. So we were able to get like an Airbnb with a kitchen and a motorbike and we're able to um, kind of have a little bit more um a little bit more freedom, freedom. You know, just yeah, yeah in, in our choices. So yeah. it's always funny when um we get the comments like how was it moving on to a boat? You know, a small space, um, kind of tight quarters and for us being in that hotel in India for so long, there was a terrace, so we got some outdoors like space, but we didn't leave the hotel for that long. It's like this is, you know, wide open. There's so much room here. Yeah, I get it. I get it. Don't fence me in. So you you, you come back to the States and you did some research about the Great Loop, but I mean, both of you admittedly have little to no boating experience. Uh, tell us about your boating background before you took the plunge. Yeah, so my stepdad had a sailboat um, in like Long Island Sound, and that was probably the extent of my experience. It was very limited. Okay. Um, my experience ranged just basically from like picking up the mooring ball, but I was too young to like be actively engaged in like the sailing aspect of it. It was more just I was along for the ride. Mm-hmm. Um, and then my stepdad, when we when we moved to Florida, he got another sailboat, um, but I did not go out on it really at all. Um, and Elliot's experience, my experience um, was quite a bit less. Um, <laughs> I had, like we had family friends that had a, a lake boat, and so I'd been on that maybe four or five times. Okay. Um, in Florida. And then uh, when we were traveling, we went on a cruise in the Galapagos. And so that was like my first ever time, like sleeping on a boat and uh, being on the water for an extended period of time. And I was like, wow, this is, this is nice. Um, And so it was kind of at that point that we started like investigating life on the water a little bit more. Mm -hmm. And for us, like we have a very tight budget. And so I just, at the time I was thinking like, I would love to do some sort of trip on the water boat life. But, you know, if we were going to have a boat, we were going to live on the boat just to make, you know, cover our expenses and, and, and that way. And so for my birthday that year that we were traveling, uh, we were in Australia at the time mm-hmm. and Jennifer bought me, bought us, uh, uh, ASA 101 courses. So in Melbourne. So we did uh, like a weekend of sailing lessons. And then um, with that, we got access to the yacht club there in Melbourne. And and so we went on a couple of twilight races and it was just a lot of fun. Um, But that was kind of where that lied. And then, you know, fast forward a few months and now we're pivoting into boat life. And um, that was that. So I'd never really driven a boat. I'd never, well, never really, but I had never driven a boat and only stayed on a boat overnight for that Galapagos cruise. So yeah. it's pretty much as fresh as, as they come. <laughs> Both of you, yeah. But it's you know quite a leap to, to go from that to take on the Great Loop and, and even just begin to research what kind of boat is going to be suitable for your needs. But with the travel bug, you guys were both bit by, and I bit by the boat bug. And with COVID still happening, you know, last year, and it was, you know, still quite a bit around. And how did you uh, decide on a boat? What were the parameters that you were, what you were looking for at that point once you returned to the States? 
Uh, do you mean like a boat, uh, like our boat in particular, or just boating in general? Uh, just a, a boat that you would that would suit your needs to be a liveaboard and um, you know take on the loop, perhaps. Gotcha. So we are definitely not the normal Great Loop boater buyers. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Because we had, I mean, we had no experience about boating and what we even wanted and what was even out there, and so. When we kind of, because the Great Loop wasn't our first option after India, because uh, as Jen was mentioning, our stepdad had a small sailboat. And mm-hmm. so we were originally working on that and in the boatyard. Um, and it was just, it was a 28 Pearson, um, good, great boat, but just not quite great for living on full time in an extended period. Mm-hmm. We have a dog as well. I couldn't stand up in the boat. These are all things that we probably should have, like, thought about before spending a few months on the boat uh, working on it but <laughs> okay. being boat newbies you kind of learn this as you're like going through it you know? right oh yeah that wouldn't work so well mm-hmm. and so we had heard about the loop in a similar time because of uh the nat geo article that the director of the ADLCA uh collabed with mm-hmm. and then our, well, our family members so that's where we heard about the great loop first so it was always in the back of our mind and in the same boat yard was this trawler, the one that we have now, which is named Pivot, which is a 34-foot marine trader, uh, and it's from 1989. Mm-hmm. And so we knew the owner of this boat, and he was ex-Coast Guard and ex-mechanic. And so we knew that the boat was safe. It was reliable because he had just done an engine refit. Mm-hmm. And we knew it could do the loop because it's a trawler. We have the right draft and uh, air draft requirements. And then also it was within our budget. So we didn't search at all for boats. We just bought this boat um, and had, because we didn't, I mean, looking back on it, some research would have been great, um, but it really worked out for us. Like, you know, we're super happy with, with how it turned out. Sounds like it was kismet. You were in the right yard at the right time, huh? <laughs> That's right. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, you were looking at the, the Pearson and here's this Marine trader. Uh, so she was in pretty good condition. She was owned by a me- mechanic and the engine just had a, re- you said you had a, a, was it a rebuild on the engine or? Yeah, exactly. I mean, <clears throat> not, not as big as the rebuild, but all the hoses were changed. The water pump was new, stuff like that. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it was basically, it was kind of a little bit of a sad story, but the previous owners, they like refitted the boat to do the great loop. And they just got a little bit too old. Mm-hmm. And so it was just hard moving around the boat. So yeah. they just pivoted to something different. Yeah, they started to have health problems. Um, but they we reaped the benefit of so much of their hard work that mm-hmm. they did on the boat. Um, yeah, we reaped so many of the benefits today. Yeah, we're very fortunate. Yeah. yeah, it sounds that way. So did she need any upgrades before you guys decided to take off? Or was it pretty much ready to yeah, go? Um, yeah, there were. Um, sorry, Jeff, it's, it's hard to hear you a little bit. Oh, okay, um, go ahead. Um, sweet. Okay. So yeah, we did do, um, some upgrades to her, but like we didn't, we tried not to do much before our maiden voyage just because, you know, all the boat systems, we've never lived in a tiny home before. So Mm -hmm. it it was all new to us, but, um, you know, we work on board. We have a lot of electrical requirements. So that was like the big upgrade that we did was we added solar, we switched the batteries to lithium and we increased the capacity. Um, I think that was 
the big thing that we did before we left. And then oh, wow. we've done some other things along the way. And <clears throat> since then, the biggest work that we did on Pivot was um, we had soft decks when we bought the boat. That was its only big detriment was that the decks were soft. And uh-huh. so we figured, you know, it might not affect us too much doing the loop, but we had some time last summer. And so that's what I did is I replaced, completely record and replaced our, our lower decks. Wow. So wow. That was the big project. Yeah, that was last year. Um, I know I was reading your website, which you can find at showandjoe.com, that you guys uh, started on the loop in 2021, but then you had to postpone. Uh, you want to talk more about that? Sure. So we started out on our loop on the St. John's River in April of 2021, Mm -hmm. and we made our way up to the Chesapeake Bay. And just for like a timeline, we bought the boat in January of 21. We we had some, you know, small stuff to do on the hard, like painting the bottom and stuff like that, and Mm -hmm. it goes to the plative. And so we splashed in February. And then in March, we did our maiden voyage down the St. John's, and then in April, we left on the loop. Yeah. Wow. We're very like, just go and do it, people. I, you think? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> let's just let's get her done. Okay. So yeah, let, yeah. let's go back. So April, you take off from, I guess, not Jacksonville, but where did you say in the St. John's? Yeah. So just the St. John's River. Okay. I and mean, we basically started our loop in Jacksonville. Mm-hmm. And um, we made our way up to Chesapeake to Smith Island. Yeah. Um, in the end, like middle to end of May. And, um, at that point we were just at that point getting like pretty comfortable with the boat. Um, it took us like, I guess two months to feel like, okay, we're starting to get this, like feeling pretty good. Not that we're like pros by any means. We're not pros. We're still students today. Um, you know, I think we're all students on the water, but we're starting to feel good. And then the next day we get to Smith Island and we're going to explore and Elliot has an accident and he falls off the boat, just getting from the boat to the dock Uh and ends up breaking his wrist. And he's broken his wrist prior. I've had a few broken bones. I have a history. Yeah. And so he he immediately knew, like, I I broke my wrist. Um, And so. And so we, um, of course, Smith Island is um, an island there off the coast of Maryland. It's the last inhabited island of Maryland on the eastern shore. Mm -hmm. And so they had a ferry that was the only access to and from the island besides the private boat. And so the ferry had just come. And so I missed the ferry to go back. And um, basically what they did was like the whole town kind of came out, the sirens went off. It was just like community that came out and to help. And they ended up, you know, giving me a splint um, and called the uh, like state troopers um, for the Maryland State TD to come out in a helicopter. Yeah. So then we put our dog, we left our dog with the the baker on the island. Mm -hmm. They were super kind and Yeah. yeah, offered to watch her. And then Jennifer and I, helicoptered over to like the biggest hospital on the eastern shore which mm-hmm. was um in salisbury uh, maryland and, yeah and then that led to a long road of recovery and surgery you know uh, uh, and then we were back at the boat so that happened more basically memorial day and by the time we got back to the boat uh, which we had moved to the to the mainland um and got a long-term slip in chrisfield maryland but yeah. by the time we got back to the boat it was it was labor day yeah it was labor day jeez so, so- so we had missed the uh, calendar, like the schedule mm-hmm. needed for the, for the loop. Yeah, I hear yeah. you. I'm glad. And you, you're fully recovered now. Fully recovered. That's great, Elliot. Um, the journey had good, had long, you know, some good doctors and a lot of PT, but back mm-hmm. to normal. 
And Ollie the dog, did, did, did yes. he gain a lot yes. of weight living with living with the baker? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was only there for one night. We oh, okay, to got it. The, the next day, and yeah, she, I don't think she wanted to leave. Yeah, I'm sure she had a great time. Smith <laughs> Island's a cool place. I've been there, and it's almost like a trip back in time a little bit. Um, but it sounds yeah, like, yeah. Every, it sounds like um, what a community to come out and help total strangers in an emergency situation. Oh, yeah, it was incredible. Uh-huh. So you spent the fall poking around, doing some, you did some work on the boat, uh, and you restarted the loop again this year. Where did, let's go, um, where did you begin the loop again this year? Let's re- repeat that. Yeah, so this year we started in Key West. So basically from from Labor Day to, I think it was Veterans Day, maybe mixing up the holidays, but basically until like mid-November, uh-huh. we worked on the boat in the Chesapeake. Okay. And then, because we live on it full time, so we brought it down to the Keys for the winter. You know, just chasing, chasing 80, as they say. Okay. Um, and so that's, so we were in the Keys for the winter, so we, we just figured might as well go to the southernmost point and, and start there. So that's why we kicked off our loop in Key West. Got it. Got it. Um, <clears throat> so it's been 3,700 miles thus far um, yeah. on the loop. So let's talk about what are some of the favorite places you've seen and maybe some fun, ex- unexpected experiences, scary moments. Can you talk about those? So our favorite experience was this summer. Mm-hmm. Um, it was our first, like, we got into Canada um, in the Thousand Islands area, which is like the most eastern part of the Great Lakes. Mm-hmm. And um, we got on, we're in the Thousand Islands National Park, which is a park in Canada. And there's a few different islands part of this park. And we're on Georgina Island. And it we have, we just happened to gut um, one of their docks. Um, they, they're paid docks, but it's super affordable. And we got like the best location, not knowing we yeah. got the best location on it. It was like almost dusk to the end of the day. Yeah. Yeah. So we get to the dock and we meet some, um, some of the Canadians and they tell us that there's a, like the following day we were talking and, and that there's this, um, natural lazy river. And we're like, wait, what? And and um, on the on this island, there's lots of pikes. It's beautiful. Mm-hmm. And the water is crystal clear. Yeah. It's 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 like this turquoise blue. It's like out of a movie. Mm-hmm. And uh, so they go, yeah. Um, you know, if you like walk up this trail, you know, right at the sign where it says strong current. And they're like, don't worry, you'll you'll be fine. But like, go in there with your life jacket on, and then you'll like float down. And we did that probably like 20 times, and it was. <laughs> fabulous it was so much fun and we even did it with our dog we put her life jacket on and she kind of hated it but it was fine she doesn't like the water mm-hmm. um but she likes to hike over and it was fabulous we just kept doing it and doing yeah. it and doing it over on repeat it was fantastic oh my god that so, sounds beautiful yeah, yeah because awesome. at the end of the the at the end of the lazy river you ended up basically like at our boat like the boats that the t- these two boats that were on the dock mm-hmm. and it was just fantastic because then we would get off onto our boat get up onto the dock, go back onto this little trail and then get back in the water and like keep doing that on repeat. It was fabulous. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Yeah. And, and stuff think- like that, you know, you can't plan that on the loop. No. You, know? um, you kind of just have to be at the right place in the right time. And everybody has those types of stories that we talk, talk about, you know, like, oh, they are this far, this part of the loop, this part of the, you know, this time of year and they had something incredible. Yeah. yeah. Um, I think one of my, highlights because there's really so many highlights on the loop but mm-hmm. you know going back to canada in the north channel 
the North Channel was something like we're we're very much the type of loopers. Like they say, there's two type of loopers: like go fast loopers and laid back loopers. Mm-hmm. And um, so we don't really do much planning other than like bigger uh, like weather weather goals mm-hmm. and um, like get like you know getting to Chicago by the end of September was a goal. So, but we only plan like a few days out, maybe a week out, unless there's a big caution or something. Mm-hmm. And so we didn't really know that much about the North Channel. And uh, we had heard so much about the Georgian Bay and we enjoyed the Georgian Bay, but we kind of had, it was a few rainy days, kind of windy. It wasn't everything we thought it was going to be. Um, and, but we had this time on a loop this year where it was, it was, it was windy for a lot of days, but there was this section of like two weeks of sunshine very light winds and that was when we were in the north channel and we were like we we love anchoring um and so we found this anchorage well we didn't well we went to the benjamins which is like one of the most popular anchorages in the in the north channel mm-hmm. and i just like it was just incredible you're like you feel like you're in a piece of time because the rock there is part of the canadian shield and it's like billions of years old it's insane and we had you know the campfire and the stars were just like hop in and just the whole experience and of course it's like crystal clear water and it's sunny and it was just you know it was just one of those uh, anchorages that you just think about yeah wow sounds amazing um yeah how about um uh, scary moments breakdowns repairs anything's uh, things happen yeah, i have to ask there. about it go ahead yeah. yeah so i think my serious day was we were uh we went out to the outer bank in North Carolina, mm-hmm. and, the and this is this is our second loop. So it's this loop. So we've been living aboard for you know maybe a year, roughly. Maybe a little yeah. bit less than a year. You're old salt at this point, right? Yeah, you know you think you think you are. <laughs> All right. You've seen I mean, a lot. Go ahead. Yeah. Seen it in a mile. and uh, so we're coming back. So we decided to leave the following day, and our goal was to travel north um, to what was the town? We're, yeah, we were going to go to Manio, Manio and travel to the Outer Banks didn't do it last the year before right and so we did not plan the weather very well and so as soon and we as had we, a we had the schedule to go to the may rendezvous right so you combine the schedule with being in the outer banks where you have the pamlico sound you know you have the albemarle town on, on the north end and um it was a very it was like a like, the weather was still in our go but it was like barely in our go you know it was like mm-hmm. It was a kind of kind of good to go, but kind of not. Yeah, it was borderline. So borderline, what we yeah. learned after that was like, do not go on borderline days. Um, but that day we were getting hit on the beam with, I don't know, the sea state, maybe three or four. More than and that. then it has the you know occasional like five or six foot, foot waves. Mm-hmm. And that was so uncomfortable. Well, we got slammed once on the beam and like everything from the uh, port side of the boat fell over starboard like we have a, a dinghy our dinghy is kind of raised and it almost fell off the dinghy platform even though like, it's tied on even though it's and tied on it was just like we got hit once really bad and then we're like okay we're just like we're gonna pivot and go right directly into the waves like we're no longer gonna go to manio which would have been probably two hours of that before we got to the uh the windward side of the water mm-hmm. um so we we immediately shifted course went up the pamlico river yeah. because um, you know, that would at least be hit it dead on. Um, and it was, you know, a lot more comfortable. I mean, we were still, it felt like we were bucking a Bronco. And oh, I yeah. felt like we should be strapped in mm-hmm. uh, because the wave height was still high and it's, we have a 34 foot boat. Um, and so we just, 
you know, just played some music and just kind of buckled in and just well, sat through it. And then Jen hears this alarm. Yeah. So then I hear this alarm. And the first time I, I kind of brush it off. I'm like, I think I need to hearing something. But then I hear it a second time. And I'm like, Elliot, what's this noise? Oh. And, and he stops. He, and he's just like concentrating and listening to the noise. He goes, that's our high water. Like that has to, and he opens up our, our, like our access to our engine room and our build. Mm-hmm. That's our high water alarm. And so, um, we had, we had our water uh, inside the build that was like at the precipice of, uh, getting out of the bilge, like into like where we store batteries and everything else. It was like right at the borderline. Um, like if I kept rising another maybe six inches or four inches, it would have, it would have like really gone everywhere. And a lot more damage. Damage. So mm-hmm. we lo- probably had a foot of water in our boat. And, yeah. Uh, yeah. Or more than that. I mean. And so, like, luckily at that point, we had been go- going upriver for about three or four hours. Mm-hmm. So, like, it had gotten considerably calmer. Um, and so, we, like, immediately dropped the anchor uh, and started bailing and trying to figure out, like, are we sinking? Well, that's really the first yeah, thing you think about. You know, like, are you, yeah, where's the water coming from? Yeah. Like, is it fresh? Is it salt? Whatever. And um, we had been having bilge pump issues. And that was sort of a learning experience in itself about priorities and, and making sure things are fixed and stuff like that. And um, anyway, our bilge pump automatic wasn't working. And so, and then the bilge pump either exit or whatever was clogged. So that was why we were having you know, water build up. And um, so we um, just, you know, got a bucket and uh, like anchored off, you know, anchored there, got a bucket, started bailing, and then really just had to, you know, keep an eye on it to see where it was coming in. And our analysis post it was we were getting uh, water coming in through our bilge water exit hose because mm-hmm. it's on these trawlers. It's pretty low to the water. Okay. And we, and we been, were in a, yeah, a lot of waves. And yeah. Rough seas for, for because, hours. Because the boat was basically going like nose into these waves. Um, it was like the, the bow was being pushed under so much that the water was coming in and, it was a whole ordeal, but yeah. after that, I think that was, in a way, a, like a little like thanks. I, I mean, the experience is very scary and not fun by any means, but it did like I guess realign us of like what are our like go or no go, yeah, and like and 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 what kind of weather do we look for? So I mean, ultimately, I do think there, you know, there is there is obviously definitely something to learn from the experience, but there's also like. You know, we um, we're going to to realign what we what we're comfortable with. Yeah, and we um, so we took a lot of that knowledge and, and used that for Lake Michigan, and we had really enjoyable cruises on Lake Michigan, which can be can get really rough. Um, and you know, but we've had a lot of things go wrong on our loops. Like we had uh, when we were doing the Atlantic portion of the New Jersey um, like section of the loop, mm-hmm. our engine died in the Atlantic. Because and, we got uh, air in our fuel yeah, we had line. air in our fuel lines. So we had low, you know, low fuel, low-ish fuel, mm-hmm. and just getting beat up. You know, um, we had our bimini almost, you know, not break apart, but start start to come off when we were in Miami. That's yeah. a smaller thing. Our yeah. shaft seal started leaking. Yeah, when we were entering the Chesapeake, mm-hmm. our shaft seal started like just dumping water into the boat oh. our prop, for our prop shaft. That was something new, and um, yeah. There's many. There's probably a few, there's probably other ones. Yeah. Well, those but, uh, are all pretty big experiences, especially <laughs> losing your engine in the Atlantic. I mean, 
if you're running up this coast, you're generally pretty close. There's a lot of inlets on the New Jersey side, but uh, in that situation, did you call a tow or did you get it going again? No, we so we had known about this sort of issue when mm-hmm. our fuel gets relatively low. Like we have like 300 gallons of fuel, so when we're at like 80 or so gallons, mm-hmm. that's when it can happen or it had happened in the past. But um, so we kind of knew the signs. Like your engine, our, our engine had some telltale signs of what the issue was. So mm-hmm. we, so as soon as we heard the telltale sign, we knew what it was, and so we moved from the flybridge to the cabin to our interior helm station to, to attempt to fix it. The difference was this never happened with this much fuel because we had quite a bit more. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but that was just part of the learning experience, and we used that in the, you know in other bigger bodies of waters. We just kind of make sure we have more fuel. Yeah. Um, and so anyway, so we knew how to fix it, which was just bleeding our fuel lines. And so I told Jen, because Jen was very anxious and very nervous for this, for the outside portion, just sure. even from weeks leading up to it. So I said, Jen, okay, keep it together for, you know, a couple minutes. I know how to fix this. I'm going to fix this. And so Jen took the helm. We moved our floorboards. I sat right next to the engine while it was running, you know, but pretty low, uh, low RPM. And I was like, okay, we we talked we talked about the plan ahead of time. And so Jen shut off the engine. I immediately like undid our Raycor. I bled it, mm-hmm. and then I put it back together. And then Jen turned on the engine. And Jen, you know, part of her uh, you know coping mechanism was counting. And so it took a, it took twenty five seconds. Yeah, with Mississippi. With Mississippi for um, us to get going again. Yeah, but you know. <laughs> like once that happens like you're not going to cruise the rest of the day the same way you're going to be like super like high alert, mm-hmm. high alert hypersensitive hey, i and, hear you, you know, <laughs> yeah but so we got through it you're the engine whisperer jennifer I, I like the way you um you cope i like the counting that probably helps and uh no yeah. I, did you, did, I remember you <clears throat> when you wrote your piece for us you you nicknamed your engine the lehman is what's the name what's uh-huh. her what's her name linda oh yes. linda positive things about linda yeah linda is you know positive vibes yeah i mean you know she's marinized tractor engine and she's an old ford yeah. super lehman super is that it super 135 or yeah, something like that yeah super 135 yeah. yeah i mean they've been around for a long time and they're gonna keep going i suppose um you know one thing yeah. you probably noticed in the loop too is you guys are among the younger people doing the great loop did you i'm sure you noticed that yeah yeah and so you were i think you're both 30 years old uh-huh. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So yeah, our boat's older than us. <laughs> yeah, but I'm bringing that up because, um, you know, you guys, on your blog entries, you really talk about, like, expenses and really trying to be not just thrifty but very smart about the way you spend money. Um, I want you guys to talk a little bit about that, and then tell me about how you sort of re-entered the workforce as liveaboards. It's it's very interesting to our, um, our listeners. Yeah, absolutely. So, um. Yeah, as far as like, you know, being on the younger form of, of loopers, we get, you know, the, the like the looping community is amazing and everybody's super friendly and everybody always has the question, like, how are you doing it now? Like, are you retired? Mm-hmm. You know, some no, people you're say, yeah, do you, you come from a lot of money. Are you independently like, wealthy? No. Yes, of course. <laughs> yeah, those, those questions always happen. And um, what's interesting, it's an interesting side note is like our perspective on age is has been really different because we talk with a, a couple friends regularly that are our age, that are our age. And uh, we say, oh, we met these young loopers or we met these other younger loopers and these are our friends or blah, blah, blah. Not that age has anything to do with becoming a friend, but just 
we talk about that and they say oh well, how old are they and like oh well they're in their 50s you know yeah. late 40s <laughs> late 50s and so like our criteria now for what we call young is do you have grandchildren yeah um so you know it's all relative Got and it. uh we've met so many amazing people you know we just we, we met somebody recently who's 83 and doing the loop which is wow absolutely awesome yeah um but um, yeah, so we're on a very tight budget. And yeah. so um, we started the loop this year. Yeah, so I think, well, prior to even starting the loop this year, like going mm-hmm. into the loop initially, like buying our boat, we knew that we like were going to be on a tight budget. So we prioritized, one, we we knew that we needed to prioritize anchoring over going to marinas um, as like one of the ways to help us save money and be very more like uh, financially cautious mm-hmm. throughout the loop and to be able to complete the loop. Um, and so knowing that it was a necessity, not a, like, you know, just a fun thing to do every now and then that was one of our, I guess, methods. Um, and then we also knew that we'd be working. So we knew that we would have to like in prioritizing, you know, a good electrical system ahead of time before leaving, um, because we knew we'd be running computers and, um, camera gear and all this other stuff. We just knew that that, that's going to take that, that stuff is not. Uh, minimal by any any means mm-hmm. right and so um you know that kind of let, leads into our ways of trying to just save money on the loop and you know one of our things we'd like to see is more people to do the loop um you know younger or take breaks from their careers and i think there's you know there's always a bit of like how can i afford to do this and so that's kind of why we started posting our great loop expenses which we post every month um, just to show, like, th- like we're not just doing the loop as affordably as possible. Like, you could still save more money than we do, but this is how much it's costing us. And we break down literally everything that we spend money on, whether it's food, mm-hmm. tips, fuel, marinas, you know, pa- like passes for Canada, whatever it is, like, we include it all. Yeah. Um, and so I think that's helpful to some people, knowing that you don't have to spend an arm and a leg to do this. You know, you can do it affordably. And, um, but anyway, so like now, you know, as for how we make money for the loop, you know, like we, so we do a YouTube channel full time. Mm -hmm. And so we've been doing that more or less since we started traveling, but we definitely took it more as a business uh, as we started the loop because, you know, we we realized we like to travel and we're trying to figure out a way to travel and, um, um, you know, more extendedly. Mm -hmm. Um, but I have a background in software engineering. And so back in when we used to live in Atlanta, I started my software engineering career and uh, have a pretty great network there. And so as times ebb and flow and as expenses ebb and flow, I I work there more and I work there less. And it's just, you know, we try to find that balance between working and traveling. And when we started the loop last year, so our first attempt, I was working 40 hours from the boat Mm -hmm. and that was you know, a lot. Um, <laughs> That's a us. lot. Yeah. Yeah. And, and nowadays I'm working anywhere between 10 to 20. Um, but we've met people that work full time in a bunch of different ways while traveling. Like we, a, a good friend, a, a set of good friends from, from us who also started on the St. Jerome's River. Um, she is a full time um, bookskeeper and like accountant for a company. And so she does that full time while, while they travel along the loop and uh, her husband's retired. 
and um, they make it work. I, I don't even think uh, that her bosses knew that they were traveling. That's how well they were doing it, mm-hmm. um, you know, with, with keeping up responsibilities and access and stuff. And we met another couple who both work full time. And, and what they do is they make miles when they're on the boat and then they leave the boat in a marina and they fly out to work and they fly back and then they move the boat, you know, you know, for a few more days, lots of miles. And basically there's no right way to do it. And, but nowadays you have technology access, you know, like a lot of workplaces went digital and COVID if you weren't already remote, you know, so it's never been easier to do this. Um, but there are definitely a hurdle, but, you know, yeah. it's, it's, it's or sometimes we'll, if we know that there's, if Elliot has like a meeting per se, that's particularly important. Mm-hmm. We'll cruise in the morning, like leave at sunrise, anchors down or get to a lock wall or something like that. Um, have them have the meeting so that way there's less like things going on or like ideally like less things can pop up. Um, and then have the meeting and then we'll pull up the anchor, leave the wall and then keep going. So it is, a, it is about, I think there's flexibility and there's a lot of like just being patient and, you know, it is what works for us. We like to tell people who, like the people who are retired and ask us on the loop, you know, like, how are you guys doing this? And it's just, we're not having the exact same experience as those, as someone who's retired um, because we are working, mm-hmm. but we are happy to be out here doing this now. Um, but it is just, it is a balance, I think. Yeah. Well, you guys are proving it, that it's capable, it's possible to do this, and um, that uh, the new way of working is um, makes it fairly easy if you have the commitment that you could um, get these kind of things done and live out your dreams, basically. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I got one last question for you guys. Uh, it's mm, What's next for you two? You seem like a couple of wanderlusts, so I, <laughs> I, 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 don't, I don't see you living on land anytime soon, but... Uh, I'm going to say uh, when you cross over your own wake, if that happens in Key West, uh, do you have any plans after that? Right. So we, so I, I'll, I'll preface it with this. Our one goal, which is above everything else, is completing our loop because last year it didn't work out. So, you know, we are definitely hyper-focused on that, but we're not rushing it. Like we're going to take our time and enjoy these sections. Mm-hmm. It's beautiful here. Um, but we're, we're absolutely going to keep traveling. Um, we may try a little, you know, one of our like core tenants is traveling in the regions, the way that, you know, traveling is best in a way. So like a lot of these inland waterways, like you want to be on a boat, like that's, you know, the best way to see it. And, uh, some of these small towns on the East coast, uh, uh, for the loop and stuff like that. So we might try to go visit some national parks, um, in, within the U.S., so that might be uh, a little bit of like mobile living, mm-hmm. like a sprinter van conversion type of thing. Van life. Uh, yeah, but we just—I was listening <laughs> to one of uh, your podcasts actually talking about uh, a possible like great loop over in Europe through the Danube River and oh uh, yes, that was uh, over. Jim Leishman from Nordhaven had mentioned that. Yes. Yeah, and uh, like we have um, a, a bucket list of probably a few uh, lifetimes long and one of the items is the french canals and it would be super super neat to do some sort of uh, circle over there um and so that's you know just learning about that recently you know i think that would be amazing um but we do have boating we're, we're absolutely going to be boating again in the future definitely 
Great, guys. Um, well, listen, good luck, and um, we'll hopefully we'll see you sometime soon. And uh, keep me in the loop about what's happening with you guys. And why don't you give me a quick plug of your website, and you can let people know where to keep up on your travels. Thank you. Thank you, Jeff. It's yeah, been a, a pleasure chatting. Um, so uh, the best way to keep up with us is um, on our YouTube channel called Show and Joe. It's the same as our website um, URL, showandjoe.com, or just Show and Joe, um, where we share daily our daily videos on the loop um and then you can find out more uh, more ways to connect from there great guys thank you so much for today safe travels and fair winds thank you thank you for listening to trawler talk the podcast of passage maker magazine the long-range cruising authority if you enjoyed this episode please do us a favor and go ahead and click that five-star rating we would really appreciate it and if you're not a subscriber to passage maker it's easier than ever to get our magazine delivered to wherever you lay your head just go to passagemaker.com slash subscribe. This episode of Trawler Talk features post-production from Nate Gruca at Active Interest Media. For Passage Maker Magazine, this is Editor-in-Chief Jeff Moser. Thanks again for listening. Until next time, fair winds and safe travels. <laughs>